Hello, this is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working with People by PaveStep. The Working with People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. We have Carla here with us today. How are you? Hi, Harrison. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to be talking about managing people through change initiatives, whether it's a big project, small project, a process implementation or culture, whatever it may be, change management and just thinking about how people need to go through these initiatives is a really important piece. But before we dive into all of that stuff, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm Carla Rojas. I am a talent optimization consultant with 20 years of experience in human resources. And what I do and how I help my clients is by helping them create, develop, tweak, implement, you name it, a people strategy to support their business initiatives. So anything that has to do with people, we really dive into the nature of the individual, who they are, what drives them, what motivates them, and form a strategy around that. So how to communicate, how to manage, Mm -hmm. how to lead individuals based on their natural motivators and drives. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So I think when it comes to projects, especially with your experience, what I've seen is people are the hardest part of any kind of project or change management. What should organizations be really thinking about when they're creating a change management process? When you want to create a change management process, typically it's because a process in and of itself isn't working or producing desired results. That's Mm -hmm. the first step. You have to look at what's not working. Other times that change management processes come into play is when there's a merger or an acquisition of some sort, when there's an executive leadership change at any level, so whether it's senior or Mm mid-management, when there's a restructure or a refocus to bring a new product or service to market. You can't always assume that you're going to do it the same way you have before. You have to understand that you have to look at it as a a new strategy. Mm -hmm. And then I think what we've all experienced recently is if there's an economic or market force such as COVID that forces us as leaders to change our business, to change our processes, to change the way we've been working. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when you think about like launching these major transformation efforts, whether it's an M&A, whether it's transferring everyone from the physical office space to their homes, What are some of the common mistakes when it comes to those initiatives and managing people through these initiatives? I think for me, there's three big mistakes that happen. The first starts at the top where if there's misalignment, if there is no alignment at the top in terms of the strategy, the leadership team, if they don't agree on the change initiative, it's going to flop. People will see right through it. They're not going to jump on board with it. The second is going to be the communication. Communication is probably actually the number one reason why change initiatives fail, because as a leadership, you may have been thinking about this, processing it, you know, working it out for a while before it gets communicated to the employees. And in your head, it may seem very (laughs) natural. It may seem well thought out, and it probably is, but How you communicate it makes such a difference. You have to let employees know the what and the why. 
Mm. What is it that's changing and why are we changing? Because without those two components, if they get one and not the other, they're not going to understand. It's, it's harder to get the buy-in. The other part of it is not tailoring the message to different types of employees. Now, you're going to have some staff, some employees that are eager for change. They're going to be quick to adapt. They probably wanted this type of change. They pushed for it. Right. But it's likely that you'll have others that require more support in making the shift. So whether, you know, even if it's mandatory for everybody. So working from home is a perfect example. It's like, well, we have no choice, right? We can't go into the office. You have to go work from home. Okay, but understand that there are going to be employees that might need some support. Do they have the right equipment? Do they have the right monitors at home? Are there other family members at home? And there's space that's lacking. So it's about really understanding and having those conversations with people ahead of time during the process and even afterwards Mm -hmm. to ensure that there is that they're finding success with the change and they're willing to make the change. And then I would say the last thing is lacking the reinforcement or follow through regarding any new behaviors or systems in place. So it's like, okay, we're working from home now. You communicate to people, you tell them what's expected of them. You tell them what is required, but then you don't follow up and you just assume that it's happening mm-hmm. and, and you let time go by and you don't check in and you don't say, hey, is this working for you? Do you need anything else? And that's a mistake, right? Not following through or following up or reinforcing like this is what we're doing now. We're working from home. It's not about you get a free day off (laughs) and you can log in, you know, answer two emails and you're good for the day. Like there has to be a level of expectations and requirements for changed behavior. And Mm. that needs to be communicated and enforced. Yeah. I think the last part is definitely important as well, right? If you, so you just talked about alignment, communication and reinforcement or follow through. And I think the last part is where a lot of people forget to do, right? Because it's like, oh, it's a big project. We're going to kick it off and we're going to have this awesome impact. And everyone gets excited about the first two. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last one, people tend to lose the excitement a little bit, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because they're like, ah, we, we finished this yeah. thing. That's great. Everything's working. Yeah, um, and then you move perfect. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that I think we're, to your point, they fall flat. So you've talked about three areas where people could be making a lot of mistakes. What drives successes in those areas, especially around communication, right? What should people thinking about, whether it's especially when it comes to people, they're going to be like HR leaders or executives. What kind of big drivers should they be thinking about in making sure that the communication is done well? That's a good question. So I think with organizations that experience success during times of change, what they typically do is they create a framework that supports those three elements. And the framework actually consists of six components. Of those six, it's pretty simple to remember because it's change is the acronym. So communicate, C is for communicate, the need for change to different audiences in targeted ways. And I spoke a little bit about this before when I said, you know, in addition to supporting some people that may need some support with the shift or even communicating to the people that are quick to adapt to the change, you want to be able to target the message in a way that resonates with them. And the way to do that is to understand what drives individuals, what their underlying motivation is. And if you can understand that, then you can craft the communication in a way that resonates with them. The second H is hone in on critical behaviors and skills that accelerate the performance. 
So what does that mean? If you're making a culture change, if you're making, you know, if there's a leadership change, if there's a merger and acquisition, you really want to understand what it is about the individuals or the team that that makes them successful. What is it about them specifically? It was is it a skill set? Is it a specific behavior? You know, are they all proactive go-getters? And that's why that particular team, let's call it a sales team, is inevitably successful. Well, now you're changing their compensation plan. So how do you create a communication plan that still motivates the go-getter and rewards them for their efforts? Those are things to think about. A is assess strengths, weaknesses, motivating needs, and drives to optimize the talent. So you want to understand who it is that you're dealing with and what they bring to the table. The next is nurturing an atmosphere of open collaboration. Change initiatives will work if there is trust. If there is no trust within an organization or very little trust, they become harder. So by nurturing a culture of open collaboration, you have built a trust. And it can be trust between a manager and an employee. It can be a trust between, you know, it's very important to have the leadership trust. But again, depending on the size of the organization, sometimes you don't get up to that trust doesn't reach so far up. But you want to make people feel like through this process, they can openly talk about how they're feeling what they think, what suggestions they may have, what's working and what's not for them. The other component is getting an executive sponsorship or champion. It's like the point person. And I want to be clear on this. It's not always HR. It could be, but it's not always HR. But it is someone who believes in the vision, can give clear direction, is really good with making sure that the process is moving along and can also rally everyone together and get them to buy in to the change. So identifying who that champion is or executive sponsor is, is very important. And then lastly is evaluating the process and adjusting the strategy as needed. So we go back to thinking about this for months. Let's say there's a change initiative coming up and whether it's, you know, a merger, an M&A, right? you know that it's happening and you've been thinking about it, but know that while you're making these changes, you may have to course correct and you may have to be a bit agile and switch directions and that it's okay to do so. So always evaluate the process and see how it's working and then make the changes if needed. Don't get stuck in, well, we have to see it through or see it through this way because this is what we decided. Right. People tend to get, pretty attached to their original plans, <laughs> especially when it comes to these big things. And they don't want to look like the person who proposed something and is going to go back on his or her word. You know, like it's a tricky area, but, you know, you got to do what's right for the organization. Yeah. If it's not working, then you do. You have to change something. Right. So you mentioned something about sponsorship, right? Having a leader or an executive be the sponsor, be the angel for this kind of initiative. One of the things that I have found in our experience with change management and these big transformations was that the executive sponsorship's great, of course. It's almost required. But what we also have seen work well is 
what we call these mini angels throughout the organization, whether it's a high performer, a junior manager, or someone who's very enthusiastic about this stuff, kind of carry the torch throughout the organization yeah. and really like the fuel the initiative, right? Can you mm-hmm. comment on the importance of, you know, involving these types of employees or any type of employees through these initiatives? Absolutely. So, you know, again, I go back to trust and oftentimes employees that are peers are building their own trust relationships day in and day out. And it's almost more common to find an employee who trusts another employee before they would trust their own manager, Mm. you know? And that's not, again, like I said, that's very common Mm -hmm. because they feel like employees feel like we're in this together. Right. I've got your back. You've got mine. I'll cover you. You cover me. And I think that, and they feel also like they're on an equal playing field. Mm -hmm. And so that relationship and that trust is built over periods of time. So when you're looking to make this, you know, any big change initiative and you have these mini angels, like you said, within the organization, they're like the worker bees, right? right? They can spread that messaging and that motivation amongst the others a lot quicker because right. they have the trust than perhaps maybe just one person can. The executive sponsorship is great because they see the process through, but the mini champions, really their job is to share the message, right. share the vision and say, come on, let's do this. Let's rally, getting everybody rallied together and saying, we need to do this and we're all going to benefit if mm-hmm. we do this. So absolutely, I agree with that. And I think, again, it goes by, it's built on trust. Yeah, and that's why a lot of these big companies have cohorts when they're hiring, Mm -hmm. not only just from administrative efficiencies, but also you want to have this cohort mentality where you're going to become good friends or potentially best friends with some of the people that you started your jobs with. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's I think that's absolutely powerful. So on that topic, right, can you give some specific examples on how organizations have really involved employees in these initiatives, right? Some tactical things that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I go back to a media company that had a large department, about 22 employees at the time. And there was, I had the lead, the supervisor come to me and say, you know what? We are having a lot of turmoil and tension going on in our department. And she had the trust of some, but not all. And she just felt that what was happening was there were people that were underperforming. There was tension in the team. There, we had junior members who were complaining that they were feeling overworked and they were wanting, they were talking about quitting. And this was two months before their most important revenue producing activity of the year, mm. which is called the upfronts. It's when you buy all the media in the summertime for the year ahead. Gotcha. So what we did was we created a strategy by involving and utilizing the predictive index platform where we assessed the entire team. So we behaviorally and cognitively assessed the entire team and we identified the individuals within the team that we knew were what we called natural promoters, people who felt good about the organization, felt good about the team, felt good about the work that they were doing and wanted Like everyone else, they wanted to succeed. And we picked those people out. We brought them together and we said, okay, we understand that there's a lot of, a lot going on right now (laughs) within the group. So what if we took a different course? What if we laid out 
new responsibilities and new teams. Now, same people, we just pulled them together differently. And what they said to us was, you know what? It's worth a try. Let's try that because what we have going on right now isn't working. So immediately we had their buy-in and we said, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to need you to help get everybody on board in the sense that they'll feel that their job is not at stake because the last thing we could, we couldn't afford to lose anyone during this time. Their job's not at stake, but in fact, this is going to enhance their roles. Junior people are going to get more exposure and senior people are going to get the support that they need. So we did that. We orchestrated the team dynamics based on the three managers in the team and their personalities and their management style and their strengths. We built a team around that. And we then delivered this message to the team. First, the manager did in a team meeting. Then she held one-on-ones. Then we had our mini angels, like you call them. We had them start meeting with smaller groups here and there. And it wasn't really... The message was the same. I think the first rule of thumb was that the message had to be consistent, but how they met and where they met and how often and frequently they met was up to them. But what ended up happening was we then created these new three teams and we checked in on them. We over-communicated their vision, our goals, and our expectations, checked in on them in the the beginning, in the middle of of the process, the change, and then also towards the end. And what I will say is it was the most profitable upfront that they've had. It was the most profitable that they have ever been in that ever. And at the end of it, we surveyed the team and they felt accomplished. They felt cohesive. Right. They were proud of the work they did. And you know what? They worked hard. They worked hard for it. Right. So that was one of the examples. You know, we've done it when we're changing, when a new president has come in to an organization. Mm-hmm. And who's this new person? Who's this new individual? And is this person going to change things around? So I had a insurance company who brought in a new president, new CEO. Right. And this was a 40-year insurance company. They've been together. Most of the people had been there over 25 years, 30 years together. So, you know, there was a little bit of a bitterness about not having promoted someone from within and bringing mm-hmm. someone in from the outside. So it was a whole strategy to not so much introduce this person and all the wonderful things that this person was capable of doing, but more so let us introduce the staff to right. you and look at the wonderful things you're getting in having this new role. And again, we went through a lot of conversations with the staff about why they were important and what value they brought to the organization and how this individual coming in was going to know that. Mm-hmm. So right. they felt like, okay, you know, if this individual knows this about me, they're not going to change what's not broken. If they know what's working, they'll keep it. And then it gave them an opportunity to be open and forthright about the things they did want to see changed about their company. Right. So setting that tone was very important, making sure that there was transparency throughout the process with the existing employees who were obviously important. Correct. Yes. Right. In uh, order to build trust. Mm-hmm. So that's the key, right? Oh, it's making sure that there's transparency and communication in order to build trust. Right. Because this is someone from the outside who's starting with a blank canvas. Right. Yeah, that absolutely makes it. sense. So kind of coming back to the point around follow through and following up throughout this mm-hmm. implementation and change initiatives, 
you know, how often or how should organizations track employee perceptions and feedback throughout this process, or should they? You know, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I always think it's important to get feedback, especially from your employees, especially from what I call like the people on the ground who are, mm-hmm. you know, cranking out the work day in and day out. And there's different number of ways that you can get feedback. You can do it on with one-on-one meetings. You can do mm-hmm. it team meetings. You can have actual surveys that you conduct. So if you're an organization that conducts engagement surveys twice a year, once a year, great. Make sure you follow up on the feedback that you get from those surveys. I know some organizations are a little bit, they want to be a little bit more agile. So they do what we call pulse surveys and they might do them monthly and it might just be one or two questions just to kind of get the pulse of the organization and the culture and see what people are feeling and thinking. So I think that's where you get your feedback. That's where you get your information and that's where you get the data you need to determine what, if anything, or what kind of change initiatives need to occur. And then once you start the initiative, it's important to check in and make sure you're, you're communicating with people. Mm-hmm. And that's a, an opportunity for them to engage with you and say, you know, I'm scared about this change or what does this change mean for me? Or it's about time you guys started doing this, you know, so you're going to start to get a lot of different types of reactions and perspectives. And I think that's right. important. So doing it in the beginning, also doing it midway and, you know, doing it at the end of it. And sometimes there is no end, right? It's hard to tell the end, but maybe looking at it like three months out or six months after you've finished your last step in the change initiative to see how things are working. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's no way you can ever over communicate unless you're saying the same thing and not doing anything about it. Then that can go wrong. But over communicating and and checking in with people and understanding how they feel about things and how they're reacting and what their feedback or what their perspective is. You can never do too much of that. And so I think as an organization, you just have to be mindful that if you are asking people for their feedback, you better be listening and you better be acting on that feedback because to just ask and not do anything about it, is going to be disheartening. It's going to kill the trust and they're not going to want to provide any more feedback for you. Right. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for your time, Carla. This has been really, really good. Where can the audience find you and your thought leadership? They can find me at carlarojas.com and always reach out, you know, LinkedIn as well. They can always find me on LinkedIn. It's Carla Rojas. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Working With People by PaveStep, everyone. Feel free to check out other episodes on pavestep.com slash podcast. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, Harrison.